Emojis have become like the standard for feelings in our world. Have you noticed that? Um, don't, if, you don't, if you don't know what an emoji is, an uh, emoticon, this is what it is right here. It just kind of gives you uh, an opportunity on your device, mobile device, to express some kind of feeling. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever used an emoji in any kind of texting, any kind of that kind of stuff? That Yeah, okay, so we're kind of familiar with that. So here's a quiz. What does this emoji represent? Anybody know? Ooh, I heard somebody say something. So, okay, well, somebody said, wow. I don't know who that, it's, okay. What it stands for is amazed. I'm amazed, okay? And what's interesting is that's what we've been talking about. What a segue, right? It shows that you're amazed by something. When was the last time, think about this, when was the last time that you could use that emoji to tell somebody about an experience that you just had? It's, it's interesting that we are rarely amazed by things in our culture. It's really true. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks since Easter, about, you know, the, the times that we were genuinely amazed by something. The last few weeks, we've been talking about how we're amazed by what Jesus does and what Jesus says. It's a word in today's passage. Take a look at this. The writer Luke tells us in Luke 9:43, he says, all the people were amazed at the great power of God. Amazed. I want you to circle that word. I think it's on your, should be on your outline somewhere. If you don't have your outline out, you should, because this is going to get you to heaven. I'm just teasing. It's not, but it really helps you remember about what we've talked about and uh, just kind of helps you engage in this study today. Um, that word is an interesting Greek word. It is the word ekpleso, and it means to strike with utter amazement. Don't you love that? Just just strike with utter amazement, to be completely astounded. So, so when Luke says all the people were, and he doesn't go like all the people were amazed. <laughs> no, it's all the people were amazed at the power of God. Like it knocked them off their feet. It blew them away. Jesus had this effect on people all the time. I've been sharing this throughout, and I'm amazed by this, that 41 different events, 41 in the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, people were amazed by Jesus. That's what it says. Astounded, wondered, astonished, amazed. It's kind of the words that they used in awe. They were amazed at what Jesus did. So if you got your Bible, your mobile device, you can follow along on the screens and the outlines. We're going to jump right into a narrative account that tells us about Jesus being amazing. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Let's look at it. Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. Now what's interesting is he specifically grabbed three guys. I'm, I'm just looking here that this, um, time out. You got it. Okay. Um, the, the, never mind. <laughs> what I'm seeing is not what's up here, I get, just so you know. Okay, so I'm going to keep moving. Take a look at your outline. It says that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on this mountain. I think Jesus wanted them to experience something. I think Jesus wanted something uh, for them that would change, that would affect the rest of their lives. And so Jesus brought them along for a specific reason. I think he brought them along to have a mountaintop experience. 
How many have ever experienced a mountaintop experience in your life? You would call it that. If you're familiar with what a mountaintop experience is, it's, it's something that catalyzes a, a new awareness in you, um, growth in your life. A mountaintop experience, is, it's an incredibly meaningful or transformational event in your life. Can you think of mountaintop experiences maybe that you have had? In your life, I jotted down a few experiences that have changed my life, mountaintop experiences. Like, for instance, the Sunday that I sat in Mrs. Walker's kids' class and raised my hand to invite Jesus into my heart as a seven-year-old little boy. I had the privilege not too many years ago to go back to this little church in Fremont, California, and we drove into the parking lot, and there was one car there, and we were hoping that somebody was there, and they were, and we told them who I was, and they opened the doors, and they let us go in, and it had not changed since I was a kid. You know, it's one of those kind of churches, and the paneling was still there, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I said, is there a possibility that I could go into, like, that classroom? And the guy said, oh, it's a storage room now. I said, it doesn't matter. And so I walked in, and my wife took my picture in the classroom, in my classroom, where I accepted Christ at seven years old. I, I could take you to the place in the same church up front at this altar where I was seeking more of God and wanting to experience more of God in this little bitty church building. And my aunt prayed with me and I experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit. An amazing thing at nine years old. I remember attending a high school summer camp and... Um, sensing that God was wanting to do something more in my life, and, and I was involved in singing at the time, and I sang this song called All My Life, which was a real popular song at the time, and during the song, I just lost it. That's the worst thing. I mean, I don't know if you guys are watching Idol or American Idol or The Voice or whatever. When, when people start crying when you're singing, it's like the worst thing because your vocal quality just, just tanks. And I'm in front at this camp, and I'm singing to a couple hundred people, and, and I just lose it because God is speaking to my heart about giving all of my life to him, about more of my life to him. Um, I'll never forget the day that I was looking in through the little windows on these doors in the lobby of our church. I went to a large church when I was a kid in, in high school and stuff, and, and a couple thousand people, and I, and I was looking in the window, and some things had happened, and I was crying, and I could see, kind of like the windows we have on our doors, and I could see my reflection in the window, and, and I could see my tears running down my cheeks. And I felt this hand on my shoulder, and I turned around. It was a guy that I'd never met before, and he said to me, hi, my name is Jim. I'm the dean of the Bible college here, and you're Bart Coffey. I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, I know who you are. I know where you live. You need to come and meet with me this week. I want you in my school. If you don't come and meet with me, I'm coming to your house. He was pursuing me greatly. This man ended up to become a mentor to me that literally changed the course of my life, and God used him in incredible ways. I remember sitting at Pier 39, Wondering if I should pop the question to this girl named Dee Dee Smith. And I had been feeling it for months, and I had been thinking it, and I had prayed that God would give me a green light. Literally, a green light. That day I found out that God had a sense of humor, because as I'm talking to Dee Dee, I look over her shoulder, and at Pier 39, I don't know if it's there anymore, I think so, but there was a Christmas shop at this Pier 39, the, the door was right behind Dee Dee, and I could look right inside the store, and I saw a 
Christmas tree that was all lit up with all green lights. And I felt like God said to my heart, do it. <laughs> so I popped the question, the end of Pier 39, overlooking the end of the pier, and the, the seals were doing their kind of thing, you know, and the seagulls and all that. And I popped a question that day, and obviously she said, yeah. I remember as a dad looking into our firstborn, our daughter's face, and realizing, uh-oh, <laughs> right? Realizing that I'm a dad. I remember going through 17 hours of labor with my wife to have our first son, who's back there in the booth running sound for us today. I remember hearing the words as the ultrasound was being performed on my wife, and the technician said, did they tell you it's twins? And we all went, what? <laughs> this was 21 weeks into the pregnancy that we found out that it was twins. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being on stage when my daughter and son-in-law said, I do. I was a part of that ceremony. More recently, holding my grandson Elijah. Mountaintop experiences. All of these things and all kinds of others have changed the course of my life because they are mountaintop experiences. And within Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, mountains are important because they often symbolize a dramatic encounter with God. It's interesting. Think about these few here. Noah's Ark came to rest on a mountain. Moses met with God on a mountain. And here we have an experience that takes place on a mountain. On this mountain, it says, verse 29, while Jesus was praying on this mountain, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became shining white. It, such a bright light that everything else became dark. That's kind of the way the writer is presenting this. In the parallel account, Matthew says that Jesus' face became bright like the sun. It's pretty bright, right? And his clothes became white as light. Now, what's really cool about this, this account and the way the writers write this account, it's not that Jesus was being spotlighted like I am here on this platform. It wasn't that lights were on the outside shining on him. It was that light, light was shining from him, out of him. And that's what Luke is trying to communicate, that researchers believe that this is the brightness of the Shekinah glory of God. The glory of God that radiates in brilliance. It's talked about in the Old Testament, Exodus 24, the same glory that God showed his people. It says the glory of God came down on Mount Sinai. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a fire burning on top of the mountain. Uh, even within the New Testament, we see that God's glory was displayed in Luke 2. You may know this story from the Christmas story. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. It lit up the hillside. The Apostle John later writes about this experience. Remember, John is one of the three that Jesus took that went on top of this mountain. John says, the word became a human and lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the only son of the Father. But shining isn't all that took place. I mean, that's a cool effect, right? Something else. Take a look, verse 30. Then two men, Moses and Elijah... We're talking with Jesus. Now, you need to know that Moses and Elijah, they represent something really important. They represent God's involvement with his people through the law 
and the prophets. In fact, all through Jesus' ministry, he referred to the law and the prophets. And the two players of those, the two most important, foremost players, is Moses and Elijah. So this goes beyond just a simple reminder of God's involvement. Basically, God is doing something even bigger than he has done through the law and the prophets. Jesus indicates this. He, in a different setting, he was commenting on some things. And in Matthew 5, he says, Jesus says, Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses and the teaching of the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to bring about what they said. To, to bring them to fruition, to fulfillment. So by the appearance of Moses and Elijah, God was basically saying, hang on, my plan is still in progress. It's still happening. And notice what they were talking to Jesus about. The two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with Jesus. They appeared in heavenly glory, talking about his departure, which he would soon bring about in Jerusalem. Talking about what God would accomplish through the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus on the cross. So keep reading. What is Peter, John, and James doing? Look at, take a look. Peter and the others were very sleepy. <laughs> All this taking place, and these guys are trying to take a nap. Doesn't that sound like us, right? Peter and the others were very sleepy, but when they awoke fully, they saw the glory of Jesus and the two men standing with him. When Moses and Elijah were about to leave, Peter said, Master, it's good that we're here. Even though I was asleep and I was taking a nap, that's gone now. I'm awake now, and I, and I think it's really good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter was completely overwhelmed by this experience. It was like something he had never experienced before. So Peter wants to preserve it. He wants to memorialize it. He wants to, he wants to put down a permanent marker of the experience. It's really easy to do this, friends. It's easy to be captivated by the moment and miss what Jesus is doing next. We, we do this all the time. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been a follower for some time, it's real easy for us to do this. Something moves us. And we want to capture the moment, right? We, I mean, we want to establish something. Even in our lives, just not even talking spiritually, just talking normal life. We, we do this all the time. Something, you know, is so meaningful to us that we want to make it a permanent memory. And so we establish an anniversary. You know, I mean, my wife and I, we're coming in on our first kiss anniversary. Yeah, we celebrate that after so many years of marriage, right? First kiss. And, and you know what I'm talking about. We set, we set up these markers like, well, on this date, you know, I had this. And we, we set up these anniversaries or these special places. Well, you know, it was near this tree that was near the beach that... You know, we, we set up these moments, websites, Facebook posts. You have those things on Facebook that remind you of, you know, four years ago, blah, 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 right? And, and it's just trying to get you to memorialize these events, to cherish, to recreate, to relive the moment. So what's interesting is nowhere do you see this more than in our experience with Christ, with Jesus. We have a defining moment with Jesus and then we want to stay there. Let, let's say that, um, that Jesus moved in a big way 
in Joe's life. Now, hopefully there's not a Joe in the room, and if it is so, I'm not talking to you. Just, this is just in theory, okay? So, so Jesus moves in a big way in Joe's life while a particular song was being played in a church service. Now, I don't know what that song is, but he, he's just moved. That song is playing, and Jesus is doing something, and Joe's crying, and it's a meaningful event, and that song takes on a life of its own to Joe. And now Joe feels moved every time that song is played. And he's got Caleb on the radio and, oh, it's the song. Shut up. Don't talk to me. It's the song, you know, kind of thing, right? It's the song that moves him every time. In fact, he believes, starts to believe that Jesus won't move unless the song is playing. Joe begins to think that he can't experience Jesus without the song so, so Joe's original intentions were pure. He's having the experience of a lifetime, and he wants to capture the moment forever. But now instead of being simply re- reminded of the moment, guess what? Joe is worshiping the moment and not Jesus. That was Peter. Peter was trying to worship the moment, to memorialize the moment, and not Jesus. Something we need to realize is if we try to stay on the mountaintop, we will miss the miracle that Jesus wants to do in our lives. Because you know why? We don't live on the mountaintop. Reality isn't the mountaintop. It's the exceptions. It's the experiences that we have in our lives, the highs that we have that are awesome. But we live somewhere else. And if we stay, try to stay, on that mountaintop, we will completely miss what Jesus is doing. I've seen people get so hung up on some kind of experience that they miss what Jesus is wanting to do in their life. God wasn't going to let this happen to Peter and the boys. Look what he does. While Peter was saying these things, remember what he was saying, Uh, Let's make three tents, one for you, one for you, one for you. Let's make three tents and let's memorialize this, this event, this experience. This is awesome. While he's saying this, a cloud comes and covers them. A voice comes from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Not to Moses, not to Elijah. To him. And then to re accent and, and accentuate this, this idea it says when the voice finished speaking only Jesus was there hmm. so God got their attention I'd say that day wouldn't you agree with me I mean Peter, John and James they, they experienced something that no one else experienced and God got their attention and he said to them basically Jesus should be your one and only focus Don't lose this. Friends, this is so important. You've got to get this down on your outline. Please write this down. I need to realize who Jesus is so I can experience all he wants to do. I I need to know, rather, realize who Jesus is so that I can experience all that he wants to do. Later, the apostle Peter He writes about this experience. Look what he says. We saw the greatness of Jesus with our own eyes. 
We heard the voice from heaven while we were with Jesus on the holy mountain. What an experience. What an encounter with God. It was a mountaintop experience that changed the course of their life, but (laughs) you got to come off the mountaintop. The story isn't over. Take a look, verse 37 of Luke 9. The next day, don't miss that, they spent the night. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. What a contrast. I mean, he, he took three guys with him, his closest three, Peter, John, and James. He took those three, and he went to the top of the mountain. And, and then Moses and Elijah appeared, but they disappeared, and only Jesus was left. And now it's just the four of them, and it's a quiet, intimate moment. And they come down the mountain to a large crowd. And, and a lot of the times, I think, in our mind, we think large crowd like the 12 disciples and a few others. No. Researchers believe it can be in the hundreds, if not thousands, that follow Jesus all the time. So this is a huge crowd of people that are following, that are pursuing Jesus. This is a crowd that has gathered. They had just seen Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. They had just seen and witnessed the glory of God. And now they're back down with the crowd and the noise and the demands And they are confronted by a man with a sick child. Take a look, verse 38. A man in the crowd shouted to Jesus, Teacher, please come and look at my son because he is my only child. An evil spirit seizes my son and suddenly he screams. It causes him to lose control of himself and foam at the mouth. The evil spirit keeps on hurting him and almost never leaves him. I begged your followers to force the evil spirit out, but they couldn't do it. This man heard that Jesus was in the area, so he goes. But Jesus isn't there. He's on top of the mountain. And all he finds are nine disciples. And so he decides that this is better than nothing. Give it your best shot, guys. And I don't know what they did that day. They probably prayed for him. They probably you know, laid hands on him. They, they were believing. They, all these, whatever they did didn't work. Nothing happened. The child's father was desperate. The crowd was wanting to see a miracle, but the disciples were powerless. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. He meets them in their everyday lives with everyday needs. This is is the gospel. Do you see this? I, I don't know about you, but this so speaks to me. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't stay on top of the mountain. I'm glad he comes down and he walks where I walk, where I live, in my everyday life. I'm so glad that the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that he can know what I go through, what you go through, so that he knows, that he relates, he cares. And this is a story, this this gospel that Jesus became flesh so that he can meet us in the difficulties of life, in the anxieties of life. Their everyday life. Maybe for you today, maybe, maybe you've tried and, and nothing has changed. Maybe, maybe you've tried different sources and different people and different ideas and different ways and, and nothing has changed in your marriage or nothing has changed in your job or your health or your finances. Nothing, nothing has changed. Nothing has happened. Jesus says something here 
that I think he speaks into our life. Jesus speaks to this father. This father says that they couldn't help me. Nothing has changed. And Jesus answers him, bring your son here. You know what he's saying? Bring your problem to me. Bring your thing to me. Bring your addiction to me. Bring your marriage to me. Bring your hurt to me. Bring your finances to me. Bring your future, your job to me. Whatever it is that you are facing, that you are struggling with, Jesus says, bring it to me. Let's see what I can do. He's not afraid of the messy situations of our lives. He isn't intimidated by the things that feel out of control in our lives. In fact, Jesus does his best work in situations like that. He wants to be involved in your life. And he says, bring it to me. Verse 42, while the boy was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and made him lose control of himself. Now, I got to admit something to you. When I I read this story, I don't know if you read the narratives in, in the New Testament like I do, but when I read this story in the book of Luke, I rarely identify with the boy. I'll just be honest with you. You know why? Because this shows a sign of at least oppression, if not possession, by a demon. And I, and I don't relate to that because I don't feel that that's my condition. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be yours either, right? And so I don't, I don't relate to the boy. I relate to the dad. But, but this week, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit stopped me in my tracks and said, think about the boy. The young man has dealt with this for a long time, out of his control. Maybe you've been dealing with your situation for a long time. Maybe, maybe you have feeling, feelings of being overwhelmed, out of control. Whatever your thing is, a habit, a failed relationship, some unforgiveness, some hurt, some disappointment, what, whatever your thing is, What is that thing in life that has been there a long time? What is that thing in your life that is seizing you and is out of your control? If you're sick and tired of being seized, if you're sick and tired of being dragged around by that thing, if you're sick and tired of of being beaten down by that thing, of feeling powerless towards that thing, there is great news today for you, friend. There is somebody who is bigger than your thing. There is someone who is more powerful than the thing you are facing, the thing you are feeling. No matter what I feel, no matter what I face, my hope will always be Jesus, what he can do. Get this down. Jesus is able to deal with anything in my life, anything in my life. No matter what it is, no matter how long you've faced it, Jesus is able to deal with anything In your life, verse 42, Jesus gave, I like this right here, a strong command. It doesn't say that Jesus just spoke a word. He gave a strong command to the evil spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Just like that. Everything changed. Jesus takes our every day and transforms it by his power. 
And we read, verse 43, all the people were amazed at the great power of God. Jesus is able to deal with anything in your life. Would you bow your heads? He's able to deal with anything in your life. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is bring it to him. Today is your day. I don't know what it is that you're facing. I don't know what it is that you're feeling. I don't know what your thing is, what your issue, your circumstance, your situation. I don't know what it is. But you do. And Jesus does. And Jesus can deal with anything 